0: This is about you, the infinite you, the part of you that can't be seen, can't be smelled, touched, or tasted, but you know you feel it, who you really are. A world lost to confusion, a universe that's partly illusion. When we look for meaning, we often simply find more delusion. Ground your consciousness in the sounds of the universe, a podcast about your true omnipotence. There's a universe inside each of us, but our beliefs keep us constrained to the edges of what we can imagine. The Interverse Podcast is your portal to that infinite realm of ideas. I'm Chance Garden and I'll be your host as we serve up inspirational sound waves from the brightest minds with the highest vibes. And we keep searching for the empowering perspectives we need to create our greatest masterpiece of all. Our lives. Up and welcome to the one within all to the inner a podcast about opening that portal in your pineal gland to imagination land. I'm Chance, and today we're getting back into the as above so below alchemy of changing our lives by expanding our perspectives of the world we live in so we can evolve the personal universe within. Since creativity and how to spark it are topics we so often talk about. It seems like a logical next step for this podcast to start discovering the metaphysical memories of our artistic ancestors, who have left behind troves of treasured truths sheathed in veils of mysterious symbolism. But as most artists listening have probably learned, symbolic literacy is a lifelong study, and the more one reflects on archetypes used by the ancients, the more one can multiply the layers of meaning in their own metaphorical works. And weirder still are the clues that spirit leaves for us in the cracks and corners of our carefully constructed creations as synchronistic messages and extra meaning from the source that inspires all this creativity in the first place. Here today to shine the light of knowledge on a constellation of cultural conundrums is an energetic and eclectic educator, the scribe that brings in some massive good vibes keeper of time, peace, and our ancestral connection, the author and researcher, Ross Ben. This is a really exciting moment for us on the show as we are starting to shift into a new gear on our interverse quest for more creative freedom. Moving past simply just seeking healing and inspiration and into the quest for the truth of where we came from. As a student and teacher of native and indigenous history and prophecy, and an avid researcher of the occult history of America and the modern-day UFO phenomenon, Ross Ben has provided us with many hours of presentations on his website that you can find at rasben.com. Definitely go check out his site, as you'll be sure to find something fascinating there, and if you want a fresh look at the old ways of using crystals for healing, therapy, and manifestation, well... Ross has got a book about that called Rocks of Ages, and you can pick that up from his website. He's also recently released a tome about urban magical architecture and more occult mysteries in his hometown area called Great Mystery Philadelphia, truly a mind-blowing revelation of symbolism that's hidden in plain sight in one of the oldest cities of the United States. On top of this, Ross is also a teacher on Native American geomancy and that ties into the great mystery Philadelphia work quite a bit, including the various mounds found across the Earth's ley line network and the power that the indigenous peoples invested in these places. And he's got some very amazing videos online over all these topics recorded at some of his presentations at Philadelphia's very own Free Your Mind conferences over the last couple of years. With energy healing, reflexology, astrology, and more on the resume, it's not likely I'll be able to really introduce everything Ross Bin does. So I'll just say get ready for a mind meld with a truly amazing embodiment of the universal loving source consciousness. And don't forget, you can check the show notes for links to Ross, things we talk about on this show, and the button to subscribe for Interverse Plus on Patreon, where you can get the second hour of this chat by becoming a member. So now's the time to remember to ground yourself, relax, and expand that breath. Maybe breathe in some type of herbs that relate to this type of conversation. Maybe sense into your body until you start to feel that tingle of your own personal star soul. Project some of that beautiful astral energy inside as a welcoming love wave to our most amazing guest of the day, Ross Ben. Thanks for coming on, man, and welcome to the Innerverse. Yes I. Wow. I'm humbled, man. It's uh you
1: know, when when you look when you think about yourself, you know, I don't think of myself in all that light, you know, but uh wow, give thanks,
0: you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty amazing we look at it all as a whole on the table there like that. And it's inspirational to me because I'm interested in pretty much all the stuff that you talk about, and it's cool to see how a creator like yourself who does have such a variety of things that were just their natural interests ends up being able to bring some of this stuff together and tie it together. Do you ever find that you're surprised at the way that different avenues of research wind up tying together? Well, yeah. Surprise
1: isn't the word because the reality is, man, a lot of the uh, realms of research I've fallen into It wasn't like my intention or my plan, you know. I'd have to really say it was obedience to spirit and listening to that inner voice, you know, and following that guidance and, you know, not doubting it. It's been an an amazing journey. And yeah, like I say, surprise is not the word. I don't know if I know the word for it yet. I will say, though, obedience is its own reward, being obedient to spirit and just going with that inner voice in spite of or regardless of how it might appear to, you know, go against what is in the apparent world. You do get a, a greater reward when you, when you
0: take that path. Yeah, sometimes that just comes down to following what you find interesting because what <laughs> one thing I'm realizing about just the nature of light, which is also consciousness or source or truth, is that what catches your eye catches your eye for a reason. That's sort of like the angelic mm. talking to you in a way or a higher dimensional message yes. like this is beautiful, so pay attention. That's why I like to root all philosophy that I ever profess in The recognition and the seeking of recognizing of beauty. I think that has a lot to do with why we're drawn to crystals. And I remember hearing you tell your story about how you were drawn to crystals and that that was an obedience to spirit thing. And it wasn't necessarily something that was even widely understood right away by others around you or myself. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. What's that path been like working with stones and what type of new information can you share? Because I feel like they're always revealing to us. Yes. I will say the journey with the Mineral
1: Nation has been, I would say, the most profound in teaching me those lessons and trusting that inner voice, you know, because, and I, and I feel many people who work with crystals may have had this experience where it's like you get a crystal... And you feel this vibe to do something with it, you know, maybe give it away or bury it. Something that's kind of counterintuitive, you know, wear it in your shoe, even though it's not fully comfortable. But it's like if you go with that, you'll usually get a double blessing or a double reward because you'll get the energy release or the breakthrough or... Whatever healing would come with that action, but then next time that inner voice tells you to do something you 're going to be more inclined to listen and more inclined to just go with it and I would say that has characterized my journey with the mineral nation. you know I just would roll with it, and I just kept doing that and how I even got exposed to it was not by intention. I was catering a retreat that was, you know, a crystal workshop was a part of it. And I was even, wasn't even trying to sit in that, but some elders that were there made me, you know? And yeah, I mean, you know, it's, you know, when you reflect back on it, just what in the moment appears like, non-consequential experiences, you know, and they turn out to be such profound, you know, set off profound trajectories in your life, because
0: my life hadn't been the same from that day. They create synchronicity in our life. <laughs> I feel like the crystals do like they speak to us through that. I've had experiences where even I'll give a crystal away. Like you were talking about being drawn to do that one that I really like, and I wouldn't even think I would want to give away, but I followed that voice. And just like to make a very long story short about this specific example, I gave away a crystal once at a music festival and it wound up getting broken by the person I gave it to. And then another person got one of the pieces and happened to feel compelled to give it to me. And I recognized it as a piece of the same crystal that I had gifted. Wow! And this was like a, there were like many thousands of people at this event. The odds of it were astronomical. But <laughs> So like even with crystals giving away the energy that they're bringing you isn't really giving anything away. That's right. I think that they open up like a part of us that has that type of vibration already. And then once we're understanding what that or understanding what that vibration feels like, we can call on it again through the imagination. So I feel like even in astral or meditative states, certain crystals I've worked with, can manifest in my consciousness in those out-of-body places and be right there with me in a way, and even in, in 3D, too. One of the things I've grown to really realize is that crystals are still life.
1: You know, just like the plant kingdom is still life, and that's still life relative to us. It's like, you know, when you look at a plant, you know it's alive, but you don't see it moving and growing, but you can see it's movement and growth over time, you know? It's the same with crystals. That certain crystals, if you have them and you work with them over time, you see them change and grow and evolve with you. And they don't really communicate, right? Like, you know, human to human but they do communicate through, like you say, synchronistic experience, which, you know, I I feel they influence through energy movement. They have dominion over molecular movement. And so we don't see the energy pattern of molecules in the air or even in certain matter or water forming and, bringing things into synchronistic manifestation. We just see the manifestation. But what's that force behind it? Yeah, it's the mineral kingdom. Anything with iron in it is going to have some, and even silica to a degree, it's going to have some paramagnetic potential. And information, life force energy, travels on you know, the magnetic fields of the omniverse. And the mineral kingdom having dominion over, you know, the molecular realm. It gives them that that potential, you know, to make synchronistic things happen. And yeah, that's how they communicate with us, you know. But we got to be open to the language, you know. So that's why, like, the works you're doing It's relevant today.
0: And I think that's one of the reasons why opening the imagination is so helpful, because if we're in a modality where synchronicity or communication from other kingdoms of life isn't possible, and of course we're never going to notice when it does happen. Mm. So, yeah, paying attention is a a big part of that, and learning to open that portal to the imagination perception will also show us more of the synchronicity, and then we're creating, and in the act of creating, we'll get almost unintentional synchronicity, kind of like I touched on in the intro, where we might find meaning in our own creation that we didn't necessarily put there, but possibly is coming from that omniversal intelligence that you're talking about. Can you speak on crystals in in ancient uh, worldwide spiritual traditions in any context? Well, usually when you find high cultures
1: of antiquity, crystal technology and crystal healing is, uh, is integral. And the Nile Valley, I think is the classic example. And they worked with a lot of silica stones, also a lot of copper-based stones, malachite, azurite, the feldspar family, which is the carbon silicates you know, they seem to be a, a favorite as well. And, you know, lapis is in the, they, they call it a feldspar spardoid. It's like in that, it's a relative of the feldspars. Lapis was a favorite stone in the Nile Valley. Yeah, it was all about making the divine self, making the immortal human, perfecting the soul, these are the themes that you find associated with the rites and the wearing and the adornment of the sacred stones, you know? So, you know, just as they dealt with it in ancient times, yeah, we're bringing that forward. A good reference is uh, the book of Coming Forth by Day, also known as the Egyptian Book of the Dead, translated by Wallace Budge. There's several key chapters in there that shows the relationship to crystals, you know, in ancient Kemet. Because the book coming forth by day, each chapter is a prayer. And after each chapter is a rubric, which is like a set of priestly instructions to kind of tell the priest what to do while they're reciting the prayer. And the series of prayers was uh, actually an initiation rite in what was called Making the Shining One. And at several points, you get the idea that they're either being implanted, you know, crystals are being implanted, in the initiate or they're being awarded adornments to wear as a part of the initiation. So one chapter is called the buckle of carnelian. And in that one, yeah, the, the person is awarded a, a medallion of carnelian that you know, he used to wear around his torso to give him the protection of Osset or Isis. And they referred to the Carnelian as the blood of Osset. And uh, you got another one of transformation into a god. That's the name of the chapter. And part of the prayer says ma'at is in my body. Her mouth is lapis and rock crystal. So that kind of gives you the illusion that that divine presence of mahat, which is like the embodiment of truth, justice, righteousness, order, balance, reciprocity, that, that energy can commune with the initiate through these crystals that are inside its body, you know, that have been implanted in the body. Because it says, Ma'at's mouth is lapis and rock crystal, and she's inside her his body, you know. So it's several chapters like that. That's a good reference to kind of just see the uh we say the divine attributes that the ancients gave to crystals and the uh, divine qualities that they were thought to bring it out in us.
0: Man, it's so interesting too, in context with other types of folklore from around the world, whether it's like South American shamanism, or even modern day psychedelic use, where people actually encounter beings that seem to like do operations on them, insert crystals into their body. Sometimes people experience this in a near death uh, transit, all kinds of multiple stories that reflect this idea that something is happening with crystals and these other dimensional, multi-dimensional beings, maybe possibly E.T.s, maybe possibly what people call angels, but seems to be a connection with all this. And so you think that in like Kemet the priests were actually working with what these these beings, these um what may be possibly the star nation beings you could call them? Uh,
1: Definitely, you know, as well as inner earth being, certain orders. I think it's one thing about Kemet is there were different priesthoods and different orders. And throughout that, what, 3,000 years of documented history plus you know, how many tens of thousands of years of undocumented history. Sometimes those priesthood orders work in harmony with one another, sometimes in conflict. So it's hard to say, just blanket general statements without opening the door for someone to be like, you know, that's that's some (laughs) bullshit. What are you talking about, you know? But generally speaking, I think you could say the orders and uh, priesthoods of Osar and Amen ra were aligned with the star nations. What we would call the heavenly host or the galactic federation. Uh, in Kemet, they called them the Anui. The star children that swam in the Uranus with alongside of the Ark of a million years, which uh, is like the ship they you know Ra sails through the galaxy on. You know, but then you also got the priesthood of Ptah and the priesthood of Canoo and the priesthood of Set, who I think got involved with some of these inner earth entities, you know? Because, you know, not all, what I would say is not all aliens are extraterrestrial. There is definitely an interterrestrial faction of what we refer to as aliens, you know? And I think the deeper mystery Is that the star beings, the ones that were aligned with Osar and Amin Ra, they are humanoid. They are more like us than the inner earth beings, which I would say, you know, most people associate with that reptilian type or as well as the gray, you know, the greys, tall and short greys. I think those are inner earth beings, you know, and are aligned with the orders of Ptah, Set, and Kanun from ancient Kemet.
0: I mean, I have a couple of questions now leading off of this. (laughs) I'm not sure which one to go with first, but I think one thing that, kind of gets to me about trying to make sense of this type of thing is the likelihood that if there are beings that want our advancement and then also beings that are befuddling our advancement or in some way parasitic relationship to us, then there's probably got to be like mix-ups of information on purpose. So that's why I like that you break down things from symbolism that are pretty hard. It's pretty hard to miss the message. Like when you break down crop circles, I love that. But what I'm wondering about right now to like ask you a specific question is when we take the notion of like above and below and try to equate that to good and bad, I feel like that gets so murky and you might agree, even when we're talking about inner earth or, our, or uh extraterrestrial beings, in a way, when you look at the way that source and Im- possibly would emanate into rea- like to a reality the way I understand things is that there's like a core and then there's an outward emanation. So things that are further away from the core are further away from source on the outside. So if you look at the earth as a body in this same way, like the way that this works in your own body, you know, you have a core, you have that root, Dantian root chakra that things kind of emanate from. Your energy goes, recedes into it whenever you sleep. It is flushed to the surface of your skin when you're awake. So, like with the earth, I always wonder if maybe I can't tell, like if the inner earth beings are demonic as in some scriptures, or if they're actually closer to a particular source generator that we call the earth, the, the core of the earth, or maybe there's beings on both sides of the uh, positive and negative balance spectrum, both outside the earth and inside of the earth. I think that's probably the most likely thing. Maybe I answered my own question, but like, how do you, how do you sort through that?
1: Well, I would say, and and I mean, thank you for bringing that up because I don't want to give the characterization that all inner earth beings have malevolent intention because that is not true.
0: Yeah, there's no villains is like you like to say all the time, right? Yeah. And even when you look
1: at uh, like in ancient Kemet, for example, the underworld was called Amenta. And there were, you know, Amenta was populated with malevolent and benevolent entities, you know? And, but the thing is, though, is within the Nile Valley, because I think, I think you were asking me, were there orders in the Nile Valley aligning with the Star Nations, you know? And I was just attempting to, paint a bigger picture that, number one, it's hard to just say, yeah, Kemet was because there were actually specific priesthoods within the Nile Valley. And then some of these orders were aligning with star nations. Some of them were aligning with inner earth beings, you know? And they were in conflict with each other. And uh, that is what's chronicled in the, what's known historically as the titanochemy in uh, Greek mythology. It is important we study this because we see a lot of phenomena today. I think the biggest thing is the melting of Antarctica. And if we don't understand the ancient context, of what is Antarctica within the Titanocomy, which was kind of like, because, you know, when I say Titanocomy, like Clash of the Titans or Clash of the, these gods, you know, Clash of these ancient priesthood orders, you know, particularly the orders of Ptah, Set, and Kanun versus the Amun-Ra order. And make a long story short, the way it went down, the Titans or like those rebels, the Pata, the, the Satin Orders, they were like imprisoned in the earth at the end of the battle. And Antarctica was like the the ice cap on Ar- Antarctica was like the, the plug keep them, keeping them in. And so, you know, when we see in the news this week that the largest glacier in Western Antarctica is got this bubble under it, the size of Manhattan, and it's about to slip off into the uh, Atlantic, and that this glacier is like a... a like a hinge pin that's holding in a whole bunch of other glaciers that once this goes, it's just going to like, you know, release massive amounts of glacier ice into the ocean. Yeah, I mean, it, global warming and the, the giving Humanity technology that would warm up the planet, it takes on a whole new context.
0: Yeah, it also puts the ice ages we've gone through into a different light, especially when we look at some of those ancient scriptures that talk about like wars of the gods that led to conditions on the planet being less, I guess, permanently all year habitable. I've never really thought this thought before, but perhaps that Clash of the Titans you're talking about. The, the reason why the earth even got colder why maybe the ancients in some way decided or caused the tilt in the axis to happen was to keep a part of the earth on ice just to keep something <laughs> keep something buried. That's a really interesting thought.
1: This is what we're talking about. And then even when you like study the moon in this context. Because the moon man, the moon really appears like a artificial satellite. It does. You know, it doesn't have its own rotation. You know, we always see one side of it. You know, the way it's parked in its orbit, it makes it like the perfect, you know, it's in the perfect ratio that it it appears to be the same size as the sun. It keeps the Earth in a seasonal wobble. Like you're saying, it seems like it's a part of terraforming, you know? And, and it all, like I said, I think the roots of it are in the ancient stories. Ancient, I refer to them as cosmologies because mythology has the connotation that it's a myth, that it's not true, that it's a, it's a myth, it's a falsehood. But cosmologies, this is like the study of our origins, the study of our roots, going back to the moment of creation. That's what a cosmology is. And yeah, I think that is a gift that I've, you know, I'm thankful that I have, that I'm able to see the symbolism in ancient stories and corresponded to the real today.
0: Not that many years ago in our area, we had that big, I mean, the eclipse was worldwide, but the last full eclipse that occurred actually in the part of Missouri where I live, you could see the full totality of the eclipse. And I I bring this up not just because it's mind blowing that the moon is exactly the distance required uh, from the earth and size, to completely perfectly cover the solar disk. But on the day that that eclipse occurred, some friends of mine and I, now we're all like totally sober and just hanging out at a campground, waiting for the eclipse. We see these white spherical objects rise up out of the ground and float around in the sky above us about the size of like large beach balls. And Mm. I've always wanted more context or maybe even someone that could help me understand what it was I was seeing. And then in your videos about the, uh, the heavens are opening, <laughs> I, I saw pictures of the same exact looking stuff. And it was really interesting because I believe that you were connecting that to the uh, Anui, Anui. Is that how you said that? Yeah, that's what they refer to in ancient Kemet. Yeah, the Anui. And these are, like you're saying, beings that actually could take humanoid type shape or otherwise could uh, manifest as just light. Well, they are are humanoid. And
1: from what I've been able to discern, they are like us in almost every respect, except where we have carbon, they have silica. So their biochemistry is very similar to ours, except how we are carbon-based beings. They are silica-based beings. And carbon and silica are mirror molecules, you know, they're both hexagonal. They look identical. The biggest difference is carbon is non-conductive and insulative. Silica is is, and carbon is non-metallic, you know. Silica is metallic, magnetic, and conductive, you know. So I think that's why they have, what you might say, more. they're humanoids with light potential.
0: I like how you put it, that we're angeloids.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're humanoids, and we're angeloids, man. They're part, we're, we're more aligned with them than
0: some of these inner earth beings you know for sure yeah and uh, alongside these these beings that people see in the sky and sometimes you guys should watch ross's videos about this because he collects a lot of uh, videos from around the internet and puts them into his presentation of people who have captured this type of stuff and alongside these beings that sometimes even form messages in the sky also, we see flying pyramids that seem to descend from the heavens and then almost like looks like land or dock with the earth and then rise back up. Uh, and those have context in ancient Egypt or comet as well, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, that would be Ra's
1: Ark of a Million Years that I referenced earlier, you know. Yeah, Dogon call it the Korona Ark of the Pure Earth. Yeah, it has many... Ancient references, you know, the Merkaba of uh, Judeo-Christian tradition, the divine throne chariot of the Most High. So, well, what well, kind of what I've observed, the Star Nations, their craft tend to be geometric in nature, pyramidal, cylindrical cubicle, because I've seen a cube, I've seen footage of this cube, as well as the the pyramid that you were just referencing, as well as, they call it the cigar UFO, but it's like a cylindrical. So these geometric shapes, and I think because it has something to do with, you know, sacred geometry and its relationship to the fabric of space-time. And these, you know, using these geometric shapes to move interdimensionally. Inner Earth being ships tend to be what they call the flying saucer or the disc-shaped UFO, as well as the wing or V-shaped crafts. you know?
0: I actually saw some of those just a couple of weeks ago for the first time. It's amazing when you start looking for this stuff. It actually does reveal itself to you. To kind of cut in with the question: Do you think people, just by making the consciousness connection and the intention to see the star nations, might actually start seeing them as opposed to like never seeing it? Well, I think when when it's in your awareness,
1: you you do have a greater chance of of you know paying attention if an event happens in front of you, you know? I had a wild experience, man, where we saw a fleet of the O'Fan while we were at a reggae show, okay? And it was myself and about six or seven other people. So I know I wasn't tripping, right? I know everybody like, well, this this man had a reggae show, right, you know you know what he was doing, but nah it was about six or seven of us we all saw it, right and there were about two or three in the group that were very excited by it you know, were like just kind of jumping up and down and pointing and screaming such that people, like we became a draw. People started paying attention to us. And what I noticed was the majority of people that caught, that we caught their attention, they never looked up to see what we were looking at. They were just looking at the two or three women in our group that were just overwhelmed by emotion seeing this thing you know but if you saw someone i mean you're like yourself you you know about the star nations right and if you see someone looking up in the sky reacting jubilant
0: you'd be inclined to look up right yeah definitely that's gonna i mean i'm gonna look up if i see a bunch of people with their necks craned, even if they're not Jubilate. Yeah, even if they're not. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But so this is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, people have blinders on uh, a lot of the yeah, time. They, you got to,
1: you, you do have to be on levels. You do have to be open to it. And when you're open to it, it does increase the chance that if those things are manifesting in your, you know, like in your
0: present, yeah, you'll, 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 you'll observe it another sort of direction to go with this is I'm curious about your opinion on how the star nations have influenced human development. And do you think this was like an on and off thing and now it's kind of coming back? Or do you think this has been pretty much continuous, uh, a continuous connection we've had and just people have been more or less aware of it at different times?
1: Uh, I think it's been continuous. It's definitely been continuous You know, but one of the things with the Star Nations is that they honor that universal law of free will. So they're not going to do some things for us. They might protect us from ourselves as best as they can. But uh, the superhero dynamic where they're there, they jump in. On the anonymous, do what they got to do, and then bam—you know, where are they? Yeah, I think the deeper reasons of that do lay in our ancient cosmologies as well. The long and the short of it is that humanity—we got a lot of lessons to learn because we are a volatile species. We're a volatile being.
0: Does that connect to our carbon-based way of life? Because whenever you are presenting that difference between silicon life and carbon life, or at least speculating on it and about the connectivity of carbon versus uh, silicon, it's like the carbon is sort of a container for this cosmic nuclear explosion of our, of like what our what we are at our core or the seed or the, the divine spark. And do you think that's what makes us volatile? Whereas the difference with these other beings is that their energy is more conductive and, freely flowing and not sort of like bottled.
1: Mm, that's a good question. That's a good question. I'm you know, I'm still I'm still seeking clarity on that, you know, why what's the root of our nature and why it seems like war and destruction is a consistent theme with us, you know? Yeah. But that is something that we have to work through to be a part of the broader galactic community. That is why there's this like quarantine, this hands-off like, you know, yeah, we're we're we're, we're going to kind of oversee what y'all are doing, we're going to protect you from yourself when we can, but you know, we're not going to really bang with you all like that and i think a big part of it is what we consider our biggest blessing which is free will like that's one one of the biggest differences between humanity and the angelic kingdom is humanity we do have free will and for whatever reason we choose not to align our will with what we might say, omniversal law, universal law. So that is one of the conundrums. Yeah, I think we have to like look within ourselves, be honest with ourselves, right? If we want to be a part of a broader community, you know, that like say, hey, yeah, we want to be a part of this galactic community, right? We want to, venture beyond this this earth realm. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's not like we are alone. There is a community out there and we have to be welcomed to make those moves. And before we are welcome,
0: we got to get ourselves together, man. I had this question here about what does it mean when you say to awaken the Earth Keeper within. But now I'm actually starting to kind of see an answer to that question. You know, your parents aren't going to let you leave the house if your room's a mess. So maybe that's like part of the lesson of of our incarnation here is got to get in balance with your roots and where you're from before, like you said, you can join that wider galactic community beyond Earth. Right now, there's plenty for us to do here.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. And to me, it is
1: just insane fuckery that there's so much resource put into space exploration. When at the same time, you know, this beautiful biosphere we're blessed with, we, you know, we don't value it not taking a proper care of the environment or honoring the natural abundance of nature, you know, over fishing and monoculture crop growth that damages the ecosystem. Just like we have to go back to obeying omniversal law, natural law, within our own social, cultural fabric and learn to live like a more collective humanity and we do those basic things, the stars will open, the star nations will, and the stars will open up. That's what is, that's when we say the heavens are open. That's really the ultimate message about that,
0: that we get ourselves together Yeah, the heavens are open, you know. Do you think any groups of humanity have been like beamed up or just like taken off world in mass? Do you think that could explain where some cultures seemingly disappear to? Oh, absolutely. And the most
1: recent, almost hard to dispute documentation that, yeah, there was a a collective that was working with the star nations you find in Ethiopia in the 1300s, in the building of the hewn churches of Lalibela, where when you read the chronicles of Lalibela, who was the king that commissioned the building of these churches. And this is the most recent, manifestation of monolithic architecture since what, the Sphinx? Okay, so this is what I'm saying. Like, this is not insignificant architecture. And the rock churches of Lalibela were built in, I want to say, a span of 27 years, 11 monolithic structures. And Lalibela chronicles that, you know, the star nations came down and worked with them and they built it conjointly. So we got that recent account. You know, when we talk about like the mass disappearance of cultures that like what appeared may have happened to the Maya and some Olmecca, as well as some of the like Mohenjandaro nations of India. I don't know. If they went to the heavens or went in the earth, that's a hard call. Some of them could have fled into the earth.
0: There are ancient accounts of, you know, like they call them calling the ant people, you know? Yeah, a lot of the natives say that's where humanity came from. So it would not be that unreasonable that there's possibly a gateway to something there that is just beyond most people's realm of discovery i would say probably when we look at world leaders or governments they seem to know something about what's going on there you mentioned the inner earth craft being more uh, flying saucer shaped and there's plenty of evidence to be had that uh, human beings are actually working with that type of craft and technology oh well
1: they definitely are
0: that's what uh
1: star nations they honor our free will and like our, our person. So when you hear those accounts of abductions and like those people are probed and bodily fluids extracted and, you know, just kind of traumatized and left with like a uh, an erased, semi erased memory of the experience, you know? Those are more than likely inner earth beings that have made agreement with certain corporations on this planet and they're working conjointly, no doubt about it, man. And it's kind of, I mean, I see, you know, when I turn on the History Channel and see it every Friday night, it's like you know, it's almost becoming cliche at this point. X-Files is how old? Two, three decades? And, but I I would say that the the biggest, like when I do talk about it, the biggest thing I do attempt to clarify is that uh, I do think the ones who are conducting the, what you say, the abductions, the the mutilations, yeah, those are inner Earth beings, man. They're not from the Star Nation.
0: Yeah, it's even possible they're quarantined here, not unlike us, according to to some uh, tribes that you would ask. You can't even get out uh, of the atmosphere all the way without sort of like a key, in a sense. And so that's an interesting concept that they would uh, that that would be the inner Earth beings doing that, or whatever more considered demonic as opposed to angelic. And what I see, like I personally can see a understanding of the cosmos where those type of beings could exist because it's basically life that has forgotten or lost its connection to that omniversal spark of consciousness and, and source and life itself requires that spark to grow. I mean, that's like what makes everything that's the prime mover so, if a being exists that's lost that connection, it would make sense that it would seek to feed on beings that have that connection. And mm. there you go. You have plenty of evidence for that, uh, at least anecdotal evidence from people all throughout time and history. I mean, yeah, so mainstream science might tell you that's all in people's head or it's schizophrenia or something, but <laughs> there's way more people saying they've had the experience than there are people that have the credentials to tell you it's BS. Yeah. Well, hey, Ross, let's, uh, let's take a break between the two shows and let everyone know where your website is again and anything you want, might want them to know about or give them a heads up on that might be coming from you.
1: Okay. Well, my website is rossben.com, R-A-S-B-E-N.com. Yeah, my latest project, Great Mystery Philadelphia. We hadn't really touched on that too much. A lot of the themes we've been talking about, I do penetrate. It's a look at the public art in Philadelphia and all of the mysteries that are encoded in it. And I really look at Philadelphia as like a knot of time, a place where the past, present, and future are all kind of wound together very tightly. So there's a lot of history here and a lot of impact of the future occurs here. The public art in the city, and the ability to decode it. It's uh, very insightful, man, in terms of,
0: like I say, a lot of the things we, we've been talking about. So Yeah, I mean, there's straight up Anunnaki sculptures like sodomizing humans. It's pretty overt. You don't even need to be able to break down some of the symbolism to be like, okay, there's some dark stuff being conjured here. And actually, one of the reasons why I didn't quite go into that uh, new work is because you had such an amazing interview with Greg Carwood on the Higher Side Chats recently about that that I didn't even want to uh, step on the toes of an amazing fellow podcaster. I'd rather let people know right now that if, if otherwise they should buy your book. But if be uh, short of that, they should go check out your appearance on the Higher Side because you guys had an awesome conversation there oh give thanks yeah yes i affirm that we,
1: we we were able to go in in depth on the mystical dimensions of philadelphia as a as a place that's all about manipulating uh historic and prophetic timelines you know
0: yeah and it is fascinating i'm sure we'll talk a little more about that when we come back from our break because uh it it's got my brain going that in your Free Your Mind uh, presentations, the whole notion of a gateway to hell being opened by Benjamin Franklin. I remember when I told my partner last night that Ben Franklin, they found corpses and like bodies of children in his uh, house. (laughs) She was like, what? No, I'm checking on that. And oh, definitely true. Yeah, yeah, in London. Yes,
1: his London residence. And many say that that was a part of his affiliation with the Hellfire Club. Some historians say, well, you know, Ben Franklin was a physician and very well could have been studying corpses or whatever. But his affiliation with the Hellfire Club. Yeah, that's, you know, that's some that's some deep history that we definitely need to not just let be swept under the rug, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, because it connects to things that are happening right now. There's very similar organizations that still exist and maybe are even just con- continuations of the same ones. And I feel feel like part of our ability to protect ourselves through our awareness is by knowing the, the plans, you know, like uh, you talk about prophecy and manipulation of historic prophecy historic timelines well what puts you on one timeline or another has a lot to do with your perspective and if your perspective is locked into the only one timeline being possible that's probably the one you're going to would you agree yeah it is absolutely if you're not creating your timeline who is yeah, and that's what up that the whole opening the portal to imagination is all about is giving you giving you some new options. Yes. Again, At the end of another show Always feels like it is over so quick And this time with Ross is no exception I thought that we could have kept going for quite a while There's plenty more I'd like to pick his brain about And I plan on getting a hold of both of those books Although I know a bit of what's in them from his other interviews I'd still like to have them on my own shelf And I plan on it I hope you guys support the guy too by going to rossbin.com, maybe buying a book there, or just sending him a PayPal donation. I'm sure he would really appreciate that. He puts a lot of time and energy into the work he does, and it's all for us. It's all for humanity. Well, it's all for truth, at the very least. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I do think he's a servant of that omniversal force of intelligence and love and goodness that exists in this universe that we can all. Perceive coming from inside ourselves if we pay attention. I really do appreciate him coming on. I've been a fan of his work for a few years now, and I wasn't even sure what I wanted to talk about most. I had plenty of questions, but the crystal topic is fascinating to me, and I think we could probably dedicate an entire another show to that sometime in the future. At one point, I started to tell an anecdote about a crystal that came back to me at a music festival. And I feel like it's a pretty weird, kind of funny, definitely mind-blowing story. I didn't want to maybe subject Ross to listening to me talk about it because I wanted to get his thoughts on things. But now that we're here in the outro, I've got you right where I want you. I think I'll just retell that story more in full. So I was at this festival called Wakarusa, which is kind of a local Arkansas festival that went on for many years. Really great time up on Mulberry Mountain. And the first year I went was actually my first festival ever, and I wound up coming across this vendor who was selling crystals, and something popped into my head, which I never ask this type of question, never have before or since, but as I was talking with this woman who ran the crystal shop, I said, Hey, why don't you show me what you've got behind the table that you don't have out for sale? Don't know why I asked that or even assumed there was such a thing. But then she pulled out this little basket with a bunch of selenite wands with leather handles and feathers on them. They were really cool, very beautiful, definitely looked like a medicine tool, like a native tool. Back then, I really didn't know a lot about crystals or magic or anything. I was quite green on all these subjects. And I was just going on intuition, what what I found interesting, following that energy. (laughs) as corny as that might sound and she showed me these wands she told me that a guy had gotten in touch with her online that she had never met in person and had offered to sell her these wands because he felt that spirit wanted them to go to her and he had made them himself he was some sort of a medicine man living out in who knows where and he needed help getting his tools out to the world He was just the guy making them and imbuing some pretty powerful intentions into them, I might add. So I bought one of these wands from the lady because why wouldn't I? It was very inexpensive and they were really cool. And I felt some great juju coming from it. And I worked with that crystal for a whole year. Carried it a lot of places. Just enjoyed the energy of it. Didn't really have specific ritual practices, but I'd meditate with it a lot. And I even started opening up to stuff like Reiki and energy healing and that type of work because of the feeling in my body that I was getting from using selenite crystals. It actually was the portal in my imagination. It gave me the ability to sense my own ability for Reiki and that type of thing, which we've all got. We, we can all do it. It's basically just universal light that we can all project. What happened next is I was at this same festival a year later. Very large festival, like 16,000 people, if I had to just guess off the top of my head. And I was out at a concert at this festival, and I met a dude with a crazy full-back Alex Gray tattoo. Just really recognizable, distinct, all the eyes like Alex Gray paintings have. And that day, I'd actually been planning on finding someone to give away this crystal too that I'd got the year before. I felt for some reason, like Ross was talking about, just compelled to do that, and I was going to follow it. And so this guy with the Alex Gray tattoo that I met, I showed it to him. And while we're watching music, he was holding it. And the next thing I know, I looked over at him and he's laying on the ground, (laughs) butt ass naked with this crystal on his chest in a big crowd of people. I don't know what he was on, or maybe he was just really feeling the vibes. (laughs) But I let him know that you might get some attention you don't want because you have no clothes on. Like, I'm cool with it, but watch out for yourself. He put his clothes back on and he thanked me. But at that point, I knew this is the guy I need to give the crystal to because clearly he vibed with it so hard that he got naked in the middle of a crowd of people. Whoa. (laughs) So I gave it to him. And it was kind of a big deal to him. He thought it was awesome or whatever. It was a big deal to me because it's something that I was pretty attached to and had had for a while. But we went on our separate ways in this big, big festival of thousands of people, likely to not run into each other again the whole weekend. But that very night, only a few hours later, a friend of mine showed up at my camp, and she told me, oh, I met this guy, and he had a crystal that reminded me a lot of you, because I know you like crystals like this, but he was showing me this wand he had, and as he was showing me, we dropped it, and it broke, and he gave me these shards of it, and I thought, these are perfect for chance, so I'm going to bring them to him. She came and found me, gave me these shards. And I was like, did the guy have an Alex Gray tattoo, full back tattoo? And she was like, yeah, that's the guy. So (laughs) weirdly enough, that's the story in full. This crystal that I gave away broke. And if you know about crystals, when they break, that tends to really symbolize some kind of release. But it broke and then pieces of it came back to me just to go and prove that classic notion of if you love something, set it free or let it go and it will come back to you in a new and evolved form. So I did have those shards for a while and I used them to make my own wands and put them in other creations and it's pretty cool. I felt like they had a lot of subjective personal power for me. I still have some of them. But that's my long-winded story about the crystal synchronicity. I've got plenty more crystal synchronicities I could talk about, but... I think I'd rather tell you guys more about what happened with Ross in the plus show. Because if you didn't catch the second hour, which you can get on patreon.com forward slash interverse or follow the notes, the link in the show notes, me and Ross talked about something I've always been more more than curious about, which is Rastafarianism. So in the plus extension, we talked about Emperor Haile Selassie and the origins of the Rastafari culture. We talked about the prophecy of opening the Book of Life, which is in our DNA, and the connection between the Philadelphia experiment and the Mandela effect. And so, yo, if you don't know what the Philadelphia experiment is, it is a crazy experiment back in the 40s where this ship called the USS Eldridge was teleported and then returned to where it was, but it was fucked up. There were like crew members that were embedded in the hole and like their body and it was fused to the ship. All kinds of weird stuff. Look it up. It's a crazy classic conspiracy type story, but has a lot of people's focus as something that might really have definitely happened and maybe is still happening today in a weird rippling type of way. We also talked about how the music industry, the Pope, and the NFL all used geomancy and rituals to regain their popularity. And that was pretty amazing. We talked about mass sporting events and the occult harvesting of human energy. And we talked about manipulating prophecies and the power of aligning with the omniversal natural law. I love that topic. Of course, we spoke about a lot more in the plus extension, but of course, I can only give you a synopsis. And if you want to check it out, just go subscribe. You'll be doing me a huge favor as someone who puts all the extra time and energy that I literally have, and more, that I don't even have, into creating this show every week and you know our audience isn't that big yet because still new at this and still finding ways to get it out there so if you are a free listener i just want you to know you could be making a huge impact in both my life and the progression of interverse as a show by donating becoming a plus member and getting literally twice as much podcast for a small five dollar a month pledge and i mean twice as much like you're missing half the show if you're on free. If you like this show at all, if you check it out regularly, yeah, you're missing half the episodes, technically. And I hate that, but I also love myself, so I got to make sure there's a way that you guys can reciprocate the energy I put into this. And the way to do that is to get on Plus by becoming a member on Patreon. I promise someday there will be a way to subscribe to Plus that is not Patreon, but today's not that day. Still got to figure that one out. But anyway. There's one other thing I need to tell you guys about, and it is the money bomb that I talked about last week. You can find this promotion-type contest sweepstakes deal I'm doing on my website at interversepodcast.com moneybomb, and it'll be linked in the show notes. And to summarize, what we're doing is any donations that Interverse receives in the month of February on this money bomb site are going to be split. 50 50 with one of you out there who donates selected randomly. So the idea is you're donating to the show, helping the podcast get some of the revenue that we need to get better equipment. First and foremost, then maybe even start expanding to have a team. Cause right now, everything you see, everything you hear, it's all me. I do every bit from the editing to the cover arts, to the online posting. And at a certain point, I'm going to need a team. So I'm going to need finance for that. And the best way is to get a plus membership, of course. But if you don't want to do that, or you're already on plus and you want to help kick into the money bomb more and have a chance to get your own cash infusion to help boost or launch your own personal career or whatever it is you might want it for, well, there's an opportunity for that. And we know the universe doesn't make mistakes. So If it's the right thing, then you'll get the other half of that money bomb, and the podcast will be massively aided by your support. But like I said, if the money bomb sounds lame, just become a PLUS member. Way better deal anyway, because with PLUS, you're getting all that extra juicy content, probably like 50-plus episodes in the archive at this point, with PLUS extensions, and more every week. And that's about it for the promotional talk. Thanks for bearing with me on that. But, you know, we have to take unconditional responsibility for our place in space time. And I am taking personal responsibility for my place in space time. And part of that is doing something different than what I used to do. And that's what this podcast is. And I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm going to keep doing it differently and adding new things, new bells and whistles and features and ideas. As I, see, as I see them come up, and we'll see what, what we can evolve this here conversation platform into. But either way, no matter what, I'm so grateful you're with me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your dedication to your own personal quest for enlightenment or truth or freedom or love or whatever it is that you're on the quest for. It's all kind of the same thing, right? If it's aligned with goodness and omniversal law which what is omniversal law other than do no harm right it's that easy and beyond that you got the freedom to do anything you want that does no harm so we've got a beautiful blank canvas in front of us called the universe and the way that we work on that particular artistic masterpiece is by working on ourselves from the inside so i'm trying to do it i am doing it not trying i'm doing it one day one step can't do it all at once But I know you're all right there with me, and I love you so much. Thanks for listening again. You guys are really, really wonderful, special, beautiful people. Love to hear from you. Drop me a line on social media or chance at interversepodcast.com or however else you think you can get a hold of me. I'm sure I'll see it, and I'll be happy to talk. Let me know what you're up to. Let me know what you're making. Let me know what you find interesting or who you want to have on the show. Or just say hi. Anyway. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself out there, and do check out Ross Ben. He's totally the man. Oh, and one more thing. Gotta remind you that the episode music this time in the bumper and the outro is by Blue Tech. Thanks, Bluetech, for letting me feature some parts of your tracks. And of course, the brand new intro at the beginning of the show is Foggy Dreams by Wisdom Traders. And with that, another episode is done and we can move on there's a lot coming up in the works i've got a full schedule of amazing guests on the way so in the meantime make something cool take good care of yourself and talk to you later